the Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris. We are going to jump into it after a brief announcement. I have been traveling for 10 days, and I know many of you want to hear about that. I have some encouragement to share with you and some observations, and I'm going to leave that for another episode because there's been a lot in those 10 days that I haven't been able to get to, one of them being this situation uh, in which John MacArthur is being attacked for a situation that occurred at Grace Community Church uh, 20 or so years ago uh, concerning a fellow named David Gray. And so I want to get into some of the details of that in this particular episode, and I'll give you the reasons why we're doing that. Before we get to it, though, a sponsor for this podcast, Gold River Tea. Gold River Tea, some of the best tea I've ever had, and I, I really enjoy drinking that tea. In fact, that was one of the things I did when I got home. I think the first day or second, well, we got home late, so it must have been the second day. I had some of my Gold River Tea. Uh, you can go to goldriverco.com, goldriverco.com if you want some, and type in the promo code CONVERSATIONS when you're checking out because uh, you're, you're not going to want to miss this. Uh, we ha- struggle. I know my family struggles. I struggle with purchasing uh, supplies from companies that don't share my values. And this is one of the reasons I've canceled Amazon Prime. I'm trying to find alternatives to the habits that I used to have in shopping. I'm trying to find new habits, make new habits, find new places. And one of the places is Gold River Tea. If you want some good tea, and I mean, it's really good and patriotic. Uh, they don't outsource to China. and their, their tea is sourced from other places because we don't really have uh, a lot of tea um, growth here in the United States. But everything else, the manufacturing, the blending, the packing, all within the United States, you're uh, actually, when you purchase Gold River Tea, you are benefiting American workers. And uh, against cancel culture, pro-Western civilization, pro-Christianity, they have a new mint bundle, largely due to St. Patrick's Day. And uh, I love the peppermint green tea. So if you want to check out that mint bundle, uh, that, that would be one of my suggestions. And soon they're going to have some court-sized iced tea bags coming in May. So I haven't had that yet, but I'm looking forward uh, when it comes out to having some of that. So Gold River Company, goldriverco.com, promo code CONVERSATIONS, get yourself some American tea. Now, I want to talk about this situation. And uh, John, why do you want to talk about this situation, right? Are you a glutton for punishment? And I've wondered that a little bit as I uh, started dipping my toe in, so to speak, because uh, it, it, it the, the battle lines immediately formed uh, once I did this. And uh, so here's um, he, 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 here's some of the reasons I wrote down. Number one, uh, and this is for those who are already somewhat initiated into this. I'm making this podcast with the understanding that many of you already know a little bit of what's going on, or at least you've heard that uh, usually in this form that John MacArthur covered up, supported, um, was... Uh, negligent uh, on a situa- in a situation concerning uh, abuse, specifically um, abuse of children. And, uh, and, and if you have kids in the car as you're listening, I don't know where I'm going to go exactly, but I might get into some territory that you don't want them hearing. So just forewarning on that, but sexual abuse as well uh, of children. And that um, the insinuation is that MacArthur is in support of a pedophile uh, a, a, a pedophile. I don't know how else to put it, really. Uh, and this has been, uh, I looked on Twitter. I wanted to find out, was this new? Where You know, how old is this particular accusation? It's pretty old, actually. It's been around for a while, but it just, it, it wasn't people that got any traction out of it. Uh, so all the information, really, 
uh, that as far as I know, at least most of the information that has been supposedly exposed, it's been available for quite some time. It's not, it's not really new. It's just been repackaged. It's just reached a platform that was able to phrase it in a particular way and put it in a, a, on a platform that people saw, eyeballs were on it, and it was able to get some traction. But, uh, but this accusation has apparently been out there for quite some time. And if you do a Twitter advanced search and, you know, just you can type in the end of 2021 if you want uh, from the inception of Twitter, you'll find if you put in the right keywords, you'll find these accusations and you know, people like Phil Johnson being tagged from grace to you. Uh, what are you going to do about this David Gray situation? So I was not aware of it. Uh, I, um, I, I don't know why I would be aware of it. It, it just, it wasn't, prominent you probably wouldn't have heard of it but now it's everywhere right everyone's talking about it and the story about it dropped the day before shepherd's conference i have to think that was probably on purpose uh at a time when for the next week pretty much everyone at grace to you and master seminary and grace community church are going to be up to their ears in responding to um the uh, the conference and they they wouldn't have time uh, to really devote to uh, engaging the story and uh, I don't know if that you know I'm, I'm I don't know I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet I don't know if th those thoughts were going through the heads of those who decided to to run this uh, that particular day but uh, the correlation does seem to indicate that there probably was some forethought and and so th the design of this seems to be to damage John MacArthur specifically to rip him down and of course he has a number of people doing that and um and no one's perfect i want to say this at the outset no one's perfect john macarthur's not a perfect man he'd be the first to admit that to you uh neither are the elders at grace community church nor the professors at the master seminary nor the people who work at grace to you they're all sinners right just like me just like you they're all sinners and they can get things wrong that's very possible and so I've always had an openness to the idea that especially at a church of 8,000 people, and who knows in the course of 20 years how many people would have cycled through that church. I mean, we could easily be talking about 50,000, 100,000 people. Uh, I mean, in a, a, a people group that large uh, and with that many elders, and that means John MacArthur's not supervising all these people. There's no way. There's a human scale issue here uh, that uh, can't really be overcome. And of course, uh, there's going to be things that fall through the cracks. There's going to be situations that should have been prevented. There's going to be sin. There's going to, all that stuff is just going to happen when you have a big group of people. So, so on the outside, I just want to say this. Uh, if there is a group of people, which some people seem to think there is, and if there is a group of people that are just always defending MacArthur no matter what, think MacArthur's always in the right, think that uh, there is no, uh, that, that MacArthur's views are infallible, Count me out of that group. I'm not in that group. MacArthur's not even in that group. Uh, in fact, uh, during, I, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly, during my uh, semester that I spent at Master Seminary in 2011, uh, I, I actually challenged MacArthur uh, directly in the student body for uh, an eschatological view that he had. And um, I think I was respectful. I tried to be respectful with my question, but I was challenging him. I, I did disagree with him. And uh, and so I, I don't have a problem with thinking that MacArthur can get something wrong, all right? So for those who happen to be watching or listening, just know this is where I'm coming from. I'm, I'm pro-truth. I'm not necessarily pro-MacArthur in the sense that I think he's infallible or can do no wrong or team blue, you know, just rah-rah, whatever MacArthur says. I'm not in that. Uh, a MacArthurite, you know, I'm not, I'm not that. I'm not like I'm of MacArthur. 
Um, but I'm also not someone who's, let's rip down MacArthur every chance we get. Let's write stories about how close his house is, is to the beach, even though, you know, 10 million people have houses that are just about as close to the beach. Uh, and uh, let's talk about how, how, you know, there's a golf course at a country club and down the road, even though there's people that are in poverty conditions that are just as close to the golf course and the country club. I'm not grasping at straws to try to rip MacArthur every chance I get either. So to, to, to pick just one example of which I could pick many. So that's, that's not where I'm coming from either. Um, here is where I'm coming from. I am someone who has benefited from John MacArthur's ministry. Yeah, there's things I disagree with here and there. No man is going to agree with another man 100%. But, um, but I, I do have a respect for his teaching, uh, and I have benefited from that. And I do believe that MacArthur is um, someone that years from now, people will look back on and uh, remember as a, as a great Bible teacher from this era. I think that his commentaries and, uh, and I realize, look, staff writers are putting together many of the things he's preached into his commentaries. I, I realize that. I, I know that there, there's a whole industry around John MacArthur. I think um, anyone who doesn't realize that, you know, probably doesn't know how publishing works. So, but, but it is, you know, it, it, it's his material that has really helped me understand some things that were uh, important to my development as a Christian. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I don't walk around with a MacArthur study Bible like I used to, and it's nothing personal against John MacArthur, and it's fine if you do. And in fact, I think it's a great gift for someone who's going into college, a MacArthur study Bible. Uh, but I, I do have a MacArthur study Bible. I do, um, you know, reference, I, I do go to MacArthur commentaries. Uh, to check myself sometimes, and I think a lot of pastors do across the United States. They, they've learned to respect him. And so when there's a charge that's made that's getting as much traction as this particular charge is getting, I, I do think it's important to look into it because uh, John MacArthur lately especially has taken some very, very hard stands, especially on the COVID stuff and also on the social justice issue. And that's one, those are some of the reasons, I mean, as if he didn't have enough enemies already, but those are some of the main reasons I think now there's a huge uh, push to discredit him. I mean, what was it, uh, a few months ago, not even, I think I was doing a video on kind of a ridiculous uh, attack on him. Most of them in my mind have been pretty ridiculous. This one I don't see as ridiculous. This one, this one hit, this one hit more than some of the other ones which is why I want to talk about it. But, but the, the one that I'm thinking of right now was uh, an accusation that he was some kind of Christian nationalist. And then I put out a montage uh, about, that, that just showed MacArthur over the years and how, if anything, MacArthur was more on the pietist side. He, he kind of leaned in that direction more and, and didn't really, not that he, he thought it was wrong for Christians to be engaged politically. He didn't think it was wrong, but he kind of downplayed uh, that role uh, often. In fact, when I was there in 2011, I heard him preach that the only thing he expected from the government was to keep him from being shot on his way to church, and that he doesn't really expect anything from the government, and Christians aren't to look uh, to find their hope in the government. And um, it, it was, you know, someone who was like myself, who was semi-politically minded at the time. It was a bit discouraging to hear some of those things because I just thought we should get involved, right? We should. Uh, and and I, I think MacArthur though w would agree with that. I think especially now he would agree with that more and probably be more vocal about it. We should be involved, but. Um, but he wasn't down with the religious right. He was, so anyways, I put this montage out just showing that, look, MacArthur was never 
like on the right wing political side of trying to mobilize Christians to vote for particular candidates that just never was who he didn't have that. He wasn't a Jerry Falwell. And the way that he was being painted was just inaccurate. Right. And, and you had to get an edited video missing context, uh, both the context of his ministry and the context of that sermon to make that kind of uh, pejorative fly. But this particular one is different than that in my mind. This particular attack is it, it, it hits squarely between the eyes. It's, it's a kill shot for and I, and people are reacting to it that way. John MacArthur supports child abuse. That's really in the, in the popular way this is being discussed out there. What I'm seeing, that's the insinuation. That's the conclusion. Uh, that's what people are taking away from a series of pieces on this particular David Gray situation. And that's the, that's the issue that I, the thing I take issue with. I'm just, so I'm giving away my bias before we even get started with all the material here, but I'll present what I have. And, and my, my bias, if there is a bias in this, is that uh, I don't believe that John MacArthur supports child abuse or ped, a pedophile. I don't think he supports a pedophile in the sense that knowingly, uh, someone who is guilty of uh, pedophilia, unrepentant, that John MacArthur would support that person in ministry or anything like that. I don't. I just don't think you can draw those conclusions. Or that Grace Community Church, under his direction, would harbor pedophiles. Uh, these are the kinds of conclusions that are being reached. So, uh, and, and that's generally what happens when an article is put out there. Uh, e even if the article kind of approaches the ledge and doesn't quite jump off, the people who are reading it will then go the extra step, which is what I'm seeing. So I want to go through the, uh, some of the, the key things in the article. I, I've made a whole slideshow just to present the facts. And I will timestamp this. We're, what, a little, almost 14 minutes in. So here's where we're, I'm starting my uh, discussion of the article and the primary sources as well. And I think that's really key in this. Read the primary sources. Uh, if you read the primary sources in their entirety and then read the particular article in question, I don't think you're going to view that article the same way. If you're, doing, if you're being honest about it, I really don't think. Attempting to be objective, attempting to say, look, I'm not pro or con MacArthur, I'm pro the truth. And here are the primary sources, here's what we have, here's what we know, here's what the article leads us to believe. I think you're going to find that those things are going to diverge. So reason to talk about this. Number one. Spousal and parental abuse and accusations of spousal and parental abuse are becoming more common. Now, this has become more common, especially during COVID. Before that, uh, statistically, at least in the United States, this kind of thing was falling. There, there wasn't, there didn't seem to be as much of it. It was going the opposite direction. But since COVID, that went up. And the accusations, certainly, since the Me Too movement got going, uh, are all around us. And so I think Partially because this is such a big issue, I, I'd like to discuss it. It's been um, an issue in the Southern Baptist Convention as well. And so I, I just thought, you know what, it's, it, it's somewhat directly or, or indirectly at least related to things I've, I've talked about before. And we're going to have to get more used to this kind of thing. These kinds of accusations are going to be hurled all over the place. So uh, some of them are true, I'm sure. Some of them are not, and uh, and, and we're just going to have to know better how to handle them. So hopefully, in me going through this, that will help with um, with knowing how to do that to some extent. Uh, these these accusations are 20 years old, so this is uh, th this is something we we would normally think probably you know that's that's really just a long time ago, but 
today, uh, th those kinds of things are being brought up all the time. I mean, remember the Judge Kavanaugh hearings, uh, remember uh, Roy Moore, remember, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name who ran for president. I really liked him. Herman Cain, right? Remember w what happened with Herman Cain? I mean, this kind of stuff is happening on a more regular basis. Uh, the attempt was made on Joe Biden, and <laughs> Joe Biden, though, unfortunately, must be protected. That was that was the narrative, so uh, it didn't happen to him. But uh, so Donald Trump, right? And, and sometimes these, sometimes there's legitimacy to them. Sometimes there's not, and sometimes you can't tell. That's that's the thing that I, I think we don't like. Uh, people in our society they don't like that, especially the social justice uh, mob. And one of the things I've explained, I've explained this uh, in my travels, is that they need to be, they need to have immediate justice because there's a limitation. Once you die in a materialist worldview, you know, there's, there is no justice after that. Christians know there is. That's when true justice actually is just getting started. But for people who don't have that hope, uh, they are looking at this material world and they're thinking, we need justice now. And it's not acceptable just to be neutral or to think that, well, there's not enough information here. And, and, and I'm going to come down on that partially with this David Gray situation. I'm like, it's very hard after all the years examining everything that we have uh, to come up with, you know, how, how would you view this, John? How would you think he's guilty? I mean, I'm going to tell you kind of maybe where I, some of my leanings, but it's, it's very hard. We don't always have information. And sometimes, especially 20 years down the line, uh, you know, how do you come to a conclusion about something? That's not an acceptable uh, position. In today's, you have to be on one side or the other. Either the person is innocent as the pure driven snow, no matter what they've done, especially if they're a victim of abuse somehow, or they are guilty as all get out. And to say, I don't know, is not an acceptable answer. But I think we need to get used to, if we are going to be about the truth, saying in some situations, I don't know. I have concerns. Here's where I have concerns, but I don't know. So uh, that's... That's number one. Number two, uh, reportedly over 250,000 people have accessed the original article. So a lot of people reading this particular article on John MacArthur. The article uh, contains serious accusations and insinuations. And the article reveals some popular assumptions that need to be examined. So these are the reasons I decided to not just dip my toe in, but actually wade in. And I, I hope I really don't want to do any more episodes on this. I'm hopefully going to give you the comprehensive John Harris take on this in one episode. I'm sure no matter what I say, uh, there's going to be people on one side or the other thinking that I didn't go far enough in one direction. But I'm just going to be honest with you. That's uh, hopefully what you expect from me. And that's what I intend to deliver is just my honest opinion. I don't want to root for uh, one side just because they happen to share my political views or, you know, if John MacArthur's guilty, he's guilty. But uh, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced here. I'm not convinced by um, the information that's been presented that John MacArthur is guilty of the charge of knowingly covering for uh, a pedophile or something like that. Uh, there's different iterations of it. So uh, let's talk about the timeline here. I think timeline's important. We, it's a complex situation, and often in complex situations, it's important to uh, put those details in a visual format. So I'm a visual guy. I like to see things visually. Here's a, a brief timeline, and I'll get into details. So um, Elaine Gray, the wife of David Gray at the time, approached the elders at Grace Community Church in 2001. On May uh, 10th, she had uh, filed a legal, there was an incident on May 10th, and then on May 11th, she filed a legal separation and obtained a restraining order the next day. So within 24 hours of uh, an incident, and the incident concerned, um, according to her, 
uh, abuse of one of the children that David Gray was um, inflicting physical pain on them that was beyond what he should have. And uh, this event was eventually led uh, very in a very short period of time to uh, legal separation and a restraining order. So then uh, shortly after this, she goes to, uh, after filing these things, to uh, Grace Community Church elders, hoping they would protect her and her children and get David professional help, according to the article in question. Now, uh, Grace Community Church starts a process with her. Uh, first, it's, it's, imported, it's inputted with Bill Shannon. Carrie Hardy becomes the counselor. But Grace Community Church warns Elaine Gray about discipline when she refuses to follow some of the counsel. Now, one thing I, I'm going to just point out things along the way that I think are important to remember. Just keep it in your mind. One important thing to remember here is that Elaine Gray was the one who initially requested counseling. So she really did think that there, whatever she knew at that time and throughout the counseling process, uh, they had, I think, jointly uh, eight or so counseling sessions. Uh, she she believed that there was um, hope in some way that the, or there was uh, some way to navigate the differences between the couple or to get David help. There was a way to actually provide that kind of help and and to uh, come. I mean, the purpose of counseling, if you go to Grace Community Church, is going to be to restore the relationship for the husband and wife to come back together as a family to repair that relationship. And so she had some kind of uh, presumably an intention uh, to do just that. Now, um, she refused, in the, the, and we'll get into some of the details, but she refused uh, to accept and um, to uh, follow some of the direction from Carrie Hardy, uh, especially concerning letting David Gray back in the house and as a result of that, of refusing the counsel, uh, Grace Community Church sent her multiple letters over several months in 2001 to 2002. The letters threatened Elaine, this is according to the article in question, with church discipline if she fails to comply with the elder's request to drop the protective order against David and take him back. So this leads to August 18th, 2002. John MacArthur announced the final step of church discipline. Now, the article claims that Elaine had not yet reported her husband's physical and mental abuse to police at this time. Important to remember that. That's another fact I want you to stick in your mind. So number one, Elaine, uh, with the hope, uh, presumably, of restoring the relationship, approached Grace Community Church, wanted the counsel. They didn't force it on her. She wanted this. And, uh, and she uh, had not yet reported her husband's physical and mental abuse to police. Now, the thing that you need to realize is uh, that she had done some, there had been some kind of a report. She had reported to a court because uh, there was a legal separation filed and a restraining order. Uh, so there had to have been some kind of report about something, but it wasn't, I guess, reported to the police. That's the only conclusion I'm left to draw from the information provided. So uh, the, it, August 18th, John MacArthur announces his final discipline step, and there is no, uh, nothing reported to the LAPD. Then we have um, Elaine Gray reporting uh, to uh, the LAPD uh, David Gray's abuse in 2003. I'm just giving you, I'm going to try, try to get through this a little quicker, just give you the, the, the big bullet points here. Uh, 2004, Carrie Hardy and Bill Shannon are written up by LAPD. 
Uh, it says in the article in question that Hardy was charged with two misdemeanors, failing to report child abuse, intimidating a witness. Shannon was ordered to appear at a city attorney hearing. In 2004, Al Mohler defends Grace Community Church. This is, this is so typical Al Mohler in my mind. Uh, there's two articles uh, that uh, talk about this. Al Mohler writes a paper for Hardy's defense at the request of Grace Community Church. The paper argued that Hardy should be exempt from reporting Gray's abuse based on religious freedom, an argument Moeller said he would not make today. And the thing that I, I just thought was typical Moeller was that uh, he, the, the way he distances himself from previous positions that he held. <laughs> and um, and it, it doesn't seem, at least from the other article I was reading, it was, it's limited to this case. It's in general. Moeller doesn't, doesn't want to make that the argument he even made at that point. And, you know, people do change, right? But Mueller's just had a lot of those situations where he changes his position on things. Uh, seemingly as the uh, society changes and goes in a different direction, Mueller kind of, um, I don't know, there, there's just many situations I can point to, uh, especially critical race theory, um, homosexual orientation and reparative therapy, uh, abuse situations. Mueller kind of follows uh, to some extent or, or extends an olive branch to what's popular, it seems. But uh, you have him defending uh, Kerry Hardy, and we don't have a copy of that particular paper, but um, Al Mohler did get involved, which which shows that this was a matter that was taken seriously on some level. To get Al Mohler involved, I mean, uh, th this was at the time a, a situation that was being uh, taken seriously. And then in 2005, Hardy's case is dismissed. Okay, so the case against him was dismissed or not prosecuted. Uh, the plea of not guilty uh, was, uh, you know, either, I, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what the conclusion is. I know the articles in question want you to draw the conclusion that uh, Kerry Hardy was guilty, but that there was a statute of limitations, or I don't know. We don't know, but we shouldn't probably just assume. Uh, we, we should, you know, probably just accept that, okay, there's something we don't know for 100% based on the available information that's publicly out there. And all we know is that there were no charges uh, that were um, brought against Kerry Hardy, the counselor, in the situation with David Gray. All right, so my I would be hesitant right away to then um, use this, uh, this absence of, of evidence uh, as evidence of some kind of uh, wrong deed or misdoing by insinuating something. I would just say, let, let's just stick with what we know. What we know is that it was dismissed or is not prosecuted. The not guilty plea uh, was somehow uh, sustained and uh, in, in some way. And Carrie Hardy, the counselor, uh, th there were no charges brought against him or the church or anyone at the church. So um, legally speaking... The police would have known about this situation. The court would have known about this situation. Uh, they would have had the available information that we don't have at that time, and they did not choose to go ahead and prosecute Carrie Hardy. That's that's important, I think, to know. Uh, that so so there isn't uh, there has been somewhat of a vetting process at some the same legal system, the same system that ended up convicting. David Gray, uh, did not end up convicting Carrie Hardy. So just hold, so, so, so th a few things. Number one, uh, before we even move farther, just remember, Lane Gray approached the elders at Grace Community Church, wanted help. Um, number two, Lane Gray had not 
reported to the police anything physical or mental as far as abuse, uh, but she had reported to the court on some level in order to get a restraining order, uh, the situation with her husband. And then number three, keep in your mind that there was no conviction uh, of Carrie Hardy or anyone at Grace Community Church over this particular issue. So let's get into the details now. 8-21-2001 and 4-30-2002, neighbors testify that David Gray stalked his home in violation of his restraining order. And so I, I've read, these are all documents, primary source documents that I've read. And neighbors are saying that David Gray is looking into his house. He's, he's showing up near the house. I'm going to admit that's kind of strange in my mind. Uh, I'm not sure exactly why he would do that. I haven't been in this situation. I know uh, people who have been where their life changes drastically one day. They're not allowed to be with their kids or their wife. They don't seem to be able to, in their mind, they feel helpless. They can't defend themselves. And, uh, and yeah, you know, sometimes they'll go driving past that house. I mean, they're homesick. They're, you know, so I don't know what was going through David Gray's head, uh, but this probably doesn't help him <laughs> all that much. And, and you do have neighbors testifying that this took place. So uh, that, that, yeah, I don't know that we can make much more of it than that, but there does seem to be at least a willing violation of the restraining order. Uh, that would, it would appear that way at least. For uh, 25, 2002, so April of 2002, George Bonsignu, uh, Bonsignu, I think that's how you pronounce it, and his wife uh, confront Elaine and offer to take the children or babysit them. Now, there's this, this is an interesting thing, a little bit, uh, that their testimony conflicts. Uh, Elaine was saying that they wanted to take the children. They're saying that they were just offering to babysit the children and that they weren't, I guess, as aggressive as Elaine remembers them being in the, uh, the article in question. So there's a he said, she said thing going on. And after this amount of time, 20 years, how in the world are you going to get to the bottom of some of these things? This problem is already presenting itself. There's no way to. Uh, 4.30, so just five days later, Carrie Hardy, the elder at Grace Community Church, counseling Elaine and David Gray, uh, quote, quotes, uh, he says, that David has expressed sorrow for any past wrongdoing towards you or the children, has repented of his sin towards God, and has taken practical steps toward change. Now here, this is really significant. I want you to remember this as we go through. The issue isn't as much what did David do, as much as it is, has David repented? Uh, at this time, remember, Elaine, during the whole course of this counseling, Elaine hasn't even reported anything to the police. She wasn't even aware of any possible sexual mishaps with David Gray during the entire course of the discipline, the counseling, all of it. Um, she was there in goodwill, uh, you would think at least. She's initiating the counseling. She's um, relaying that she wants counseling, that she thinks that they can work through these issues. Uh, so, so the intention of the whole idea behind counseling, for those who don't know, especially someone who's attending Grace Community Church, uh, and this is, I think, maybe a place where I can provide some added context just because I was there uh, for a summer and a semester. Uh, I did a, a semester of school there, and um, I'm familiar. I actually have an uncle who's a member there right now. I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with their newthetic counseling. Uh, they don't call it that now. I think they just call it biblical counseling, but... If you're a member there and you understand what biblical counseling is, which the people there would understand that if you've been there for any length of time, uh, and if you didn't and you requested it on the front end, you're going to know kind of what you're getting within the first meeting generally. I'd be shocked if you didn't. The whole intention behind it is going to be 
to restore relationships. They're going to use probably like Ken Sandy Peacemaker stuff. Uh, they're going to use, um, I mean, I don't even know all the resources that are out there now. I'm just remembering. I took, these are two courses I took when I was at Masters, Biblical Counseling uh, and Conflict Resolution. So you use like Jay Adams stuff and the people who have kind of uh, built off of Jay Adams. And their their whole attempt is within the body of the church, with the in the submission to the elders, who especially the elder helping navigate this. There's going to be homework given, and all of it is going to be uh, with the intent of bringing about repentance, and and then restoration. And so, no matter how bad the sin is, um, now there are some things I'm positive that Grace Community Church, you know, <laughs> I murdered a guy. You're coming in, right? There are things that are going to be uh, reported. Uh, there are things that they're going to say, we'll counsel you, but you need to turn yourself into the legal authorities. You got to understand, though, during this time, according to what we know, the elders at Grace Community Church had no knowledge of any sexual abuse. They had no knowledge of, uh, they, they had knowledge of the things revealed in counseling, which revealed a tendency towards anger. Uh, some, um, but we, we could categorize it as physical abuse. They may have categorized it, uh, and, and in fact, the Greys may even have categorized it as just uh, harshness, unintentional harshness. Um, they were aware of some of these things, and that's why it's important, some of the facts I'm going to get to, but it's important to note that they actually had security from the church escort the children to the home, uh, found um, a, a place uh, to stay for Elaine until the restraining order was was brought into effect. They had supervision and provided a neutral location at the church for David Gray to see the kids. I mean, they, they took all these steps. And so there is, they did know that there was at least the accusation. They, they, they did know that there was at least a tendency towards harshness or harm. And they were taking precautions. They were taking this seriously. However, in the course of this, for some reason, okay, and I don't know, I don't have all the facts, but all I know is that for some reason, the decision was made not to bring that to the police. Um, and this is what Al Mohler defended, that they didn't have to do that. Uh, Elaine Gray did not see in that time a, a reason for her to bring it to the police until even after the discipline. So there was actually a time in there between the end of the counseling and the discipline where Elaine presumably wouldn't have been attending the church. She could have reported this stuff. She didn't report it, right? And Elaine also admits to being overly harsh uh, in, in her treatment of the kids, participating in some of the things that we'll get into in a moment, but like, um, you know, tying the oldest to like the, the, the bed rail or the bedpost to keep him during the night from abusing the other kids because they it sounds like they had some real behavior issues with the oldest um, and and just uh, and they both discipline their kids they both spank their kids and so um, there's uh, admission that they they tried to kind of shield that from the neighbors or they didn't want the neighbors thinking that they were abusing their kids because they just wanted to biblically practice spanking they had a whacker they used uh, so, and I'll get into more of the details on this in a moment. I just, I want to bring it up now just to say that there was guilt in both parties, at least they had both admitted. Now, David Gray much more so, but there was an admission on both that, hey, you know, this is a problem and 
to some extent, we're both guilty of this. We want to restore our family. We want to restore a relationship. That's what the elders would have thought. They didn't see a need to go to the police. Much of the information that's available now that you're reading on the articles in question wasn't available to those counselors. Time frame is really important in this. And when you read an article, I notice one of the things with this article, the original one especially, is you read, here's what happened 20 years ago, and then it's like a flash forward to some other point, and he was convicted of molestation. And then you go back, and there's kind of this back and forth. The assumption that you're, so, so you're on this emotional roller coaster, you're hearing horrible thing here, and then you're like, this is what the church did. But you're, if you're intaking it uh, in the, the way that the article has it set up, you're just following that progression. Instead of intaking it according to an actual timeline, I think it's going to change the way you emotionally perceive that. So I, I, and I, so I think it's helpful for us to go through, through things one by one. That's why I'm doing this uh, as, as objectively and factually as we possibly can. So you're not just, you know, your heart strings aren't just tugged. And then all of a sudden you're back in John MacArthur shaming Elaine Gray, right? Uh, let's talk about when some of this evidence was brought forth, when the convictions were made, all of that. And, um, and we'll get into some of the issues uh, connected to supporting David Gray after the conviction. But I, I just want to give you the, the timeline. Uh, so uh, we have uh, a confrontation the, uh, from uh, Bonsagu and his wife, George Bonsagu. Carrie uh, Hardy saying David's repenting, really key thing to, to just keep in mind. Uh, people can do wrong things and then repent and you can restore a relationship. So there's an admission here. Yeah, David did some wrong things. David's repented. David doesn't want to. David's making strides. David's doing the homework. David's showing progress, right? This is really key to remember. And, and I think as Christians, we need to realize, you know, someone can do horrible things. Someone can be the Apostle Paul. Horrible sins, murdering people. And that doesn't mean we don't have a, a testing period or, hey, you know, Paul, are you really on the, uh, on the level here? Um, but trust can be built. Trust can be restored. And uh, trust can, can, um, can be extended. And the point of this kind of counseling would be for trust to be extended. And that's what the assumption of a counselor like Carrie Hardy would be, that Elaine is going to extend that trust to David. And it wasn't happening. And it frustrated Carrie Hardy. And it, it, it uh, eventually developed into a situation in which uh, Elaine was, was just unsubmissive in the mind of Carrie Hardy. And the elders of Grace Community Church, who had been aware of this, and that's what led to the discipline and everything. So let's jump forward to June of 2002. Hardy testifies. Uh, this is uh, you can. I, I'm putting all the links here, by the way. So if someone wants to get these uh, primary sources that I think are important to read, if you really want to understand the situation, then go to the link in the info section. Uh, I am going to post this uh, for patrons, but I'm going to also. Um, I'm going to see if I can figure out a way to post this outside of Patreon as well so people can just access it. Hardy testifies on uh, uh, that G Grace Community Church initially took Elaine's accusations seriously. David was shocked and confused, but humbly submitted and sought growth. The church provided Elaine with a security escort and place to stay. They provided a safe neutral location at church for David to be with kids, supervised initially, and, observed no th and they observed no threat. Elaine had a pattern of dishonesty, according to Hardy, undermined David with the children and was miserable being married to David prior to the incident and looking for an excuse to leave. She eventually left the church and stopped attending counseling sessions. He places equal blame on both parties. Now, this is key to me. He places equal blame on both parties. 
Hardy, and, and you can read it, it's at the end, uh, Hardy basically says, look, they both contributed to this, but the difference between the two is that David is actually making progress, showing humility, showing spiritual growth, apologizing. Elaine doesn't want to receive this. That's the accusation. And, you know, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in a church. I, I have seen situations before, many times, by the way, where a, there's a marriage situation, a counseling situation, and the spouse uh, ends up on the front end, you know, the, the motives seem pure, the motives seem like what you'd expect, we want to get back together. But actually, what's what's really going on is the spouse is looking for someone authoritative who the other spouse respects to take their side. So they're looking for justification to do what they're already intended in their heart to do. Not saying that's Elaine, I don't know. But it seems like that's what Carrie Hardy thought about Elaine, that Elaine wasn't actually there in good faith. Elaine was there uh, because she wanted someone to take her side and she wanted justification for what she had already intended. So um, then you have on the 8th uh, of, uh, this would be August, Pastor Alvin Barber Jr. testifies on behalf of Elaine. Now this is a pastor, I don't know exactly what their connection is. I think this is the church Elaine ended up going to. He's not with us anymore. Uh, he's passed on. But this particular pastor basically testifies on behalf of Elaine, listened to one of the counseling sessions that took place and determined that there was um, basically negligence on the part of Grace Community Church and Carrie Hardy, that they were uh, not giving the best counsel. And um, so it, it's hard to tell. I mean, something like this, uh, I definitely think we should take into account. It's, it's hard to tell exactly where this pastor is coming from or what the nature of his relationship is. Uh, all we know is that he had married them and he knew them like 20 years before that. He, he had, or, or perhaps, I'm trying to remember now because I read it, and he had, he had known them for, an, I think it was 20 years, an extended period of time. But on this particular situation, uh, it, it's hard to know exactly you know, how much he knew of that immediate situation. Was it all from Elaine? Uh, was it just Elaine in, in one counseling session? It's really, that was one of the things that I, I noticed in this was I'm like, you know, on, it's hard based on one counseling session when there has been eight with the couple together. And then I think a few where Elaine and uh, David had separate counseling sessions. It's really hard to figure out if the, at what stage the counseling is in. And, you know, if you just brought out, here's the harshest thing my counselor said to me, it's like, well, did you see the three before that where the counselor was being gentle? And then finally got to the point where they were frustrated that, you know, they were going in circles with you or something. So I don't know. There's just not a lot that we can take out of this, but I think, you know, I, I want to at least include it in this analysis that there was a pastor who did seem to think Elaine was in the right on this, okay, from another church. So for whatever that's worth. And then we have um, uh, Elaine Gray responding to Carrie Hardy. The, these are all the court testimonies uh, claiming he was an enlightened. So here's, this is interesting to me. Let me just read this and then I'll give you my analysis. Elaine Gray responds to Carrie Hardy claiming he was an unlicensed former pharmacist. I kid you not. That's like in the, it's in the first, he's a former pharmacist who lied about her motives, took the side of her husband based on insufficient evidence. I'm going to stop right here. You got to ask yourself, you know, why did she go to an unli unlicensed former pharmacist? She initiated this. What was the purpose of if he didn't have credibility? Or was she just in, I, th I think maybe what the Me Too crowd would say was she was in a cult group think and she was getting out of it. I mean, okay, okay but it, 
she didn't think of him that way when she first started going there. And, and there's no evidence you can say it's cult groupthink. It's just uh, circumstances have changed. That's the only thing we know based on the evidence available. And, um, and he lied about her motives, apparently. Took the side of her husband based on insufficient evidence. Refused to read his counseling homework in which he itemized his sins. I want to address this one real quick. Um, so Carrie Hardy refused to look at some homework. I have a screenshot of one of the pages here. Some items have been redacted, and this isn't the whole homework, which a little bit unhelpful, I wish. But it, it itemizes things that he did uh, that he threatening. He threatened to, I guess, and this must be one of his children, to get rid of her, to take her away uh, to juvenile hall. Uh, he disciplined her in anger. Um, talks about tying up, locking up uh, the child. Now, the article in question that, that is revealing all these things really tries to make the case that this is unique to David. When you read the document, I'm going to show you at the end, what you find is that David's testimony, at least, is that actually, no, this is stuff his wife did as well. And I'm going to get to the reasons for it. But, you know, I'm angry when I read this. I was like, oh, my goodness, this guy's terrible. And we, perhaps he is. This very well could be the case. But when I, when I read the testimony at the end, I thought, well, wait a minute, I need to... I need to back up a little bit. This is really bad, but it may not be quite as bad as I thought initially. Um, and there's, there's things I don't know. So this is what I want to encourage people. Be careful of knee-jerk reactions when you don't have all the information, okay? So this is some information that has been presented and put out there. And, um, and, and the counseling homework sometimes, and I, I know this just because I've been through some of these counseling courses, uh, and I, I've been through both, by the way. I've been through integrated counseling uh, courses, uh, with integrated with psychology. I've also been through biblical counseling courses. And both of them actually have elements of this, where you go through these exercises, homework, and some of the homework is just for you. It's not meant to be shared with the counselor or anyone else. It's just you, and it, it's supposed to be you getting out your your sins so that you can have them clearly in front of you and you can confess them to the Lord. And it's something between you and God. Oftentimes, uh, this is actually a very common uh, homework assignment. And that's what I think this probably is. That's what it appears to be. Now, of course, it's being screenshotted and putting in front of the whole watching world, which is probably embarrassing to uh, David Gray. But... Um, it wouldn't surprise me that the counselor would not want to look at that list of sins. The counselor already knew there were sins, thus why they had the supervision at the church, thus why um, even when Carrie Hardy talks about the case in various situations, uh, he uh, emphasizes that there's repentance going on. That uh, it, Repentance from what? There had to have been something sinful for there to be repentance. So there was an awareness that there was a problem here and there was uh, a problem related to abuse of some kind, right? That, that there was an awareness of it, but there was a determination made that this wasn't to the extent that take it to police, this was something solvable. There was a situation that protected uh, Elaine and her kids from David, uh, if, if that was the case. And, um, and so he would not have had a reason in his mind to look at this personal homework. And, and this is just, you got to remember, this is a counseling situation, right? This is the whole intent behind this is to repair the relationship through uh, repairing the souls of the individual's uh, parties involved. Inaccuracy, uh, he inaccurately, apparently, according to Elaine Gray, described her husband as laid back and quiet. 
Now, this is another thing I, I just, the sequence here is important. Um, Carrie Hardy says that the husband was laid back and quiet initially. She, he was surprised that the husband would be accused of abuse, but they took it seriously. They gave her a place to stay. They gave her a security escort from the church. Uh, but the husband was laid back and quiet. So she's using this as you're describing my husband as laid back and quiet. Yeah, he said initially before uh, the charges were made, he, that was one of the reasons he didn't suspect. But so, so she, there's, there's a twisting going on here um, that he was aware of significant abuse. He failed to exhibit Christian love. He harassed Lander and emotionally abused her, used cult-like tactics. Now, none of these things are specific enough for us to really evaluate. They're just, they're accusations, but there's no specifics. He facilitated social ostracization from her friends. Um, he was motivated by preserving his public image and possibly wounded pride. So there's speculation now going on on what his, what his motives are. So Elaine Gray's testimony, she's saying that he uh, questioned her motives, but then she turns around and questions his motives. Uh, she claims her husband abused her and the children for three years so this is 2002. So that would be since 1999. So she's been abused for three years. But remember sequencing here, she didn't realize it was a problem until they actually went to counseling in 2001. That's when she realized this is a problem. So, um, so, so the story, so now she's coming to a new realization, it seems like, that there had this, this actually, she's, she's starting to think, I've been abused longer than I thought I was being abused. And you know what? That sometimes does happen with abused victims they do sometimes uh, have a situation where they're being abused they figure it's normal uh something over the top happens and then they start questioning everything and realizing i've been abused for longer so you know that's possible that that is true um that he had a long history of violence with his family and had emotionally abused her for 19.5 years which led to a decline in her health so her doctor said that she had better health through being separated from him and now it's 19.5 years that's pretty much i think the length of their marriage almost that she had been abused during the course of the marriage this long. And so she's just realizing this now. And so the charge that she's making has changed. It's changed from, I'm concerned about a situation that came up, which freaked me out. And now I'm, I'm there's a separation and we want to work through it to, this is just part and parcel to who David Gray is, fundamental to who he is. This is what he's done for a, two decades. And, uh, and, and there's really, you know, no repairing it, especially with an ex-pharmacist who has horrible motives and all of that. So that's her testimony. So it's very different. I would encourage you, if you're going to try to have an opinion on this, you don't have to take all my analysis, but at least read for yourself Elaine Gray's testimony from uh, the 10th of uh, September 2002 and also read... Uh, the June 2002 uh, testimony from Hardy, uh, Carrie Hardy. Read both of those things. At, at the very least, you need to read. There's, there's really three primary documents. Those would be, in my mind, those would be two of them that you need to read. And, and it just, I wouldn't even put an opinion out there about it in, unless you've, you've read them. And again, these are just a he said, she said, but that's all, that's all, that's what we have. Uh, David Gray starts prison ministry, teaching Greek discipleship, etc., which grants, which gains the praise of MacArthur and others on staff at Grace Community Church. We know that at this, at least by 2015, Gray has already been convicted of child abuse. He's in prison, and he starts this ministry, and and people on staff at Grace Community Church praise it. 
And so this is what one of the things that's being used now to say, like, look, they're supporting a child abuser. There's, and, and, and here's, there's a few things that I want to say about this, uh, and I'll, I'll say most of it to the end. But one of them is that throughout this whole thing, what you notice is even with Carrie Hardy's testimony, it's that David Gray has repented. David Gray has repented. David Gray is changing. David Gray is on a good trajectory. David Gray wants to reconcile. If you have someone who's done something horrible, and then they repent. Let's say they even become saved. Who knows? How do you treat that person? And now they have a prison ministry and they're teaching things like Greek. I mean, you don't just learn that. Discipleship, homiletics. Um, they don't have to do that in prison, certainly. I mean, there's, you know, what, what gain do they have? You know, what kind of things can they get from the church to help them? Other than prayer at this point. I mean, it's decades down the line. David Gray's still going to... Uh, you know, be trying to curry favor with the leaders at Grace Community Church. For what purpose? His wife's gone. His kids are probably alienated from him. Uh, you know, maybe you could say it's the only support he has. Well, according to his letters, he seems to have plenty of contacts and friends in prison. Um, I mean, it, it, it's odd to me. It's odd to me. And I'll, I'll show you something else that makes it even more odd at the end, a, a social media post from him. But but this gains the praise of MacArthur. Now, if David Gray is truly repented, even if he did some really horrible, horrible things, and he, let's say he's a Christian, he's repented, he's, what do you do with a person like that who's leading a ministry? That's a question you got to ask. One of the things that I think is an assumption, perhaps, behind a lot of the thinking I see out there regarding this is that, well, someone who does something bad, they can't repent, or they, they can't change. You can never praise them again. There's never, it's, it's sort of the cancel culture thing. There is no redemption in any of it. Well, maybe there is. I'd like to suggest that actually that's what Christianity is about. People who've done horrible things, uh, things that our society would say are the worst things, things that legitimately are the worst things, can repent, can come to know the Lord. I think Hitler could come to know the Lord. I think Stalin could come to know the Lord, I mean, in theory. I'm not saying they did. Um, if the Apostle Paul can, why not? All right, so David Gray denied uh, parole for 10 years. And by the way, I, I just thought came to my mind, you know, well, David Gray's a, he's been a Christian the whole time or something. Well, I, you know, maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe he's always through this whole process claimed to be a Christian. You know, what about someone like David? Murders someone, <laughs> commits adultery with the guy's wife. I mean, is there, can you repent from that? All right. So whether Christian or not, there is hope for repentance and restoration. Okay. 3-11-2022, David Gray denied parole for 10 years. So that was just recently. Uh, he, the evidence uh, seems to be, at least in the minds of those who made this decision, strong enough to keep David Gray in prison for another decade. So that is, um, you know, significant. That needs to be taken into account. Now, here are some of the reasons. I'm going to give you some of the reasons I'm skeptical about the spin that is being put on this from the articles in question. I'm going to go through the accusations, insinuations, and assumptions, and these are direct quotes from the main article in question that broke this whole story, supposedly, but even though the information's been out there for a while, but really at least made the story popular. Accusations. Here's one. Carrie Hardy, a former Grace Community Church associate, pastor, and personal assistant to John MacArthur, told her she needed to model for her children how to suffer for Jesus by enduring David's abuse. I thought that was horrible. I read that. I was like, that, that is horrible advice. And if that, you know, just, you know, he's beating her, you know, that's what I'm envisioning. He's beating her. He's beating the children. You just got to suffer. And then I realized when I read the two documents that I just presented to you, the testimony 
uh, from Carrie Hardy, that actually this suffering for Jesus was not about physical anything. This was about, quote unquote, emotional abuse. And there's a range in that. That can range from horrible things and psychological, well, I don't even, should I even use that word? I just alienated half the audience who, who don't believe in psychology. Well, maybe not half the audience. So a portion of the audience. How, how about I use a, another word? Um, uh, just uh, emotional manipulation. How's that? So that can range from emotional manipulation, gaslighting, that kind of thing, to mild things, being overly critical about certain things. Um, it, there's a range in there. And so that if David, who at this point in Carrie Hardy's mind is repentant, is making strides, wants to love his wife, wants to love his family, and, and that's the assumption at least, right? at least in Carrie Hardy's mind. And he wants, he, he should be able to come back into the home. We're, we're trying to restore this. And she is saying, she is afraid that, well, what if he, he may not physically do something, but he can emotionally, he'll do something. Uh, he'll, you know, it's in that context that Carrie Hardy's like, well, then look, if, if, if you're going to suffer, if it's not something that's illegal or directly, you know, harmful, it's something that you can withstand would be the assumption, uh, then suffer, suffer for Jesus and be an example to your children. Uh, be, you know, th there, there are biblical principles on this, are there not? Uh, to husbands, right, are the command, the ideal is that they live with their wives in an understanding way. Absolutely true. Wives are commanded to submit to their husbands, even uh, husbands that aren't Christians, that you may win them without a word by your behavior. So this is probably what he's trying to evoke. And the, the way that the article uh, portrays this is that you, or at least the accusation seems to be that you have this elder who is going to make the wife go into a combat zone. And you don't get that impression when you actually read the words of that particular elder, that that's what he's trying to do. You know, what kind of abuse is it? It's emotional abuse, but there, like I said, is a bit of a, uh, a scale. There, there's a spectrum when it comes to that, what constitutes emotional abuse. And one, one of the things that I'm concerned with about the Me Too movement is sometimes the accusations that are used can be vague or they can be, uh, and I'm talking about today, not back 20 years ago in this particular case, but the way that uh, things are perceived today is if you, you say emotional abuse, you, you oftentimes you don't even have to prove what it means. You know, it can be all oh, well, so hard. I don't even have to give you the specifics because it's just it's, it's so traumatic bringing it up. And um, and, I, you know, I realize there are situations uh, like that. But and there is such thing, I think, as emotional abuse. I mean, you can definitely be really mean and horrible. And, you know, don't tell me words will never hurt me. Words do hurt. Um, at the same time, though, you know, there there is there's a line. There are things that are can be critical. There are things just humans do and they're normal every day that. Uh, can be considered mean. There can be mean things someone says that they're trying to, to stop doing. And would that be considered emotional abuse? No. And so, uh, so, so anyway, that's one of the things that I just, I thought, man, that, that's a really poor way to write this. Because you get this one impression about this. And then when you read Gary Hardy's testimony, you're like, that's, that's not what he's saying. Uh, insinuations. Here's, here's some quotes. Despite being mandated by California law to report child abuse, Grace Community Church never reported David Gray's abuse to authorities. Now, there's an insinuation here that there's kind of a cover-up. Grace Community Church is covering up the abuse. In fact, uh, David Gray lost his position at Grace Community Church teaching, and then there's, um, 
the, the claim in the article is that they passed him off, basically, that they were trying to find a place for him to work, and he ended up working for the public schools. And so they sent a known, you almost get the impression they sent a known child abuser into the public school system because uh, they don't want them around their kids. When we don't know the motive, it could very, very easily be that, and there might even be a policy on it, I'm not sure, that in a situation of this magnitude uh, where there's counseling going on because the marriage is on the rocks, they don't want someone working in a ministry at the church who has a marriage on the rocks, that there's certain character qualifications one must have to be working at a church. And working in ministry is a bit different than working in the secular world, especially in the minds of those at Grace Community Church. That's perfectly possible that that was the reason that they did that. But the insinuation is that, well, there's a cover-up. They never reported it. Well, because it was already reported to the court. Before counseling ever started, Elaine Gray had reported to the court something in order to get a restraining order. Uh, So what, what would they have to report? that hadn't already been reported uh, it, to the police, I guess. I mean, I mean, look, Elaine Gray didn't even do that between the time the counseling stopped and the discipline uh, took place. She didn't even report to the police. So, um, you know, th- this is, they're trying to show that there's a negligence going on, and perhaps there is. Perhaps there is some negligence. In fact, reading through this whole thing, I, I've kind of thought, you know, this probably could have been handled a lot better. But, you know, what... This particular, the way that this is phrased insinuates something that may just not be the case. That Grace Community Church trying to cover something up here. Doesn't doesn't seem like it. Uh, asking Al Mohler to write stuff about it. They're, they want to protect themselves, but they don't seem, they, they're, they're pretty honest about it. They know this is, by the, by the time it goes to court, it's in the public uh, record. You know, there's no escaping that. Um, and so... Let's keep going here. Shannon added that the protective order violated 1 Corinthians 7.10, which instructs women not to separate from her husbands. Elaine testified. Now, there's an insinuation here, and and this is something I want to say for probably tomorrow or perhaps next week. There's a Russell Moore article out on this subject of separation, and and this is an underlying theological issue that is... uh, there's a shift, I think, in theology because of situations like this. Situations like this are driving evangelicals to change their theology on uh, a divorce and, and perhaps even separation. You also have in this that they took it seriously. So, so here, here's the thing. Grace Community Church literally gave Elaine Gray a security escort and had her stay somewhere else until the, prote- the uh, order, the, the order of protection or the uh, restraining order was in effect. Obviously, they're okay with some measure of separation temporarily. Obviously. It, it, it's clear as day. They're, they're not, in all circumstances, they're not saying you stay with an abusive husband. But the insinuation here that you, you, a lot of people who are reading this article, they come away with, that's what they think. It's not. It doesn't match the facts. What they'd be against is an uh, unwillingness to ever come back together that that should be temporary at best, and there should not be a, a divorce. Uh, that, that's really, I'm sure, the theology that's underlying this. But it's phrased in the most unreasonable way, and the insinuation is that they, they think you should just stay in the war zone, uh, which isn't true. 
Another insinuation, Hardy accused Elaine in the declaration of having a tendency to exaggerate and exercising faulty logic and irrational thinking. In contrast, Hardy said David Gray was fairly laid back and that after several monitored visits between David and his children, our church concluded that monitors were not necessary. Now, this is just taking cherry picking. It's taking one snippet from one statement and one snippet uh, from from another part of the statement and then just bringing them together as if this was exhaustive. This is all that really the only significant thing that Carrie Hardy had to say. That's just not true. Uh, there, there were other things said about Elaine and David, even negative things about David in that particular testimony. And it wasn't that Elaine only had a tendency to exaggerate and exercise faulty logic and irrational thinking. She wasn't just reduced down to just that. Um, David Gray wasn't reduced down to just being fairly laid back. In fact, I pointed out earlier, I mean, that was why he was shocked initially, that he was surprised and that they took it seriously, though. He's always fairly laid back. I didn't think he was like that. So um, this, there's a a contrast going up. Here's how the man's treated. Here's how the woman's treated. Can you see this? Can you see? It's just playing into these stereotypes. And if you read what Hardy actually said, there's, there's a lot more to it than just uh, what's quoted here. Um, I mean, he actually believed that, yeah, Elaine did have these tendencies. Um, and at the bottom of it, she, he thinks that, you know, she just doesn't really want to be with her husband. And, uh, with David Gray, um, he did, uh, say that David Gray was at fault, but that he was repenting basically. So it wasn't just that he's fairly laid back and that just, you know, cause he's a guy or something. And that, that runs through the entire assumption of the statement that Carrie Hardy makes. Not true. That's not part of it. So another insinuation here uh, about uh, a smear, really, against Hardy that doesn't seem to be brought about by the facts, at least. It, it doesn't, the facts don't support it, necessarily, this incomplete uh, present presentation. Shannon uh, accused Elaine of sinning by going to the law. Another uh, statement made in the article in question, uh, Bill Shannon, the guy who kind of intook, uh, he, he was, I guess, the head of the Sunday school or the small group or something, uh, that this Elaine and, um, and the Grays were part of. But he accused El- Elaine of sinning by going to the law. Now, the insinuation here, I think, and I think because what I've seen people do with this is they're taking it that Grace Community Church kind of thinks everything should be handled in-house, like the law should never get involved. Uh, I don't know what Shannon said and what Shannon didn't say, honestly. Um, let's just say he said that. He said that Elaine was sinning by going to the law. Okay, let's say that's true. If that's true, it's probably true of a specific case, and it's probably this particular situation, and it's probably true about uh, what he's talking about with the initial restraining order before coming to the elders of the church. They probably thought that that should be the first thing, is like, call the elders of the church. Let's go through this together. That's my assumption. That's probably what's going on, but it's hard to tell. But what are you left with from... The, just this quote. I mean, you're just left with the idea that it's a sin to go to the law. I'm sure, I'm telling you, Grace Community Church, the, the elders don't believe that. There, there may be, I'm totally open to the idea that there may be a tendency to handle too many things in-house. There may be a tendency, I'm, I'm open to that idea. I'm not aware of it, perhaps, but I'm, I'm open to it. That, um, that maybe because of the issues in California, especially with spanking kids and all that, you know, you'd, I don't know. I don't know what all the reasons would be, but that the church maybe should exert more authority than the church really has. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to that. But 
it doesn't mean that they're always against going to the law or anything like that. And that's what some people are taking from this. Yeah, it doesn't say that specifically, but that's that's what an insinuation can do. Insinuation can kind of give you, give you only part of the story and phrase it in such a way that you, you reach the conclusion. You, 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 they give you an inch, you take a mile. All right, uh, another insinuation. This is kind of an insinuation that just runs through these articles, that there's cult-like behavior, multiple instances of church members confronting Elena MacArthur, uh, repeating Corinthian, the Corinthian warning concerning communion before discipline. Um, it's just the way that everything's phrased. You, you have this whole conclusion that, look, this guy is David Gray is a terrible guy. He's a pedophile. He's re really presenting him as this, this horrible, horrible man, this unrepentant guy that she needs to get away from. It's a war zone at the house. And then these are all the facts. And here, here's all the court. Here's all the facts the court has given even since then. You know, here's the conviction and everything, and then going in time before the conviction to just show here's all the people that followed the example of their elders, also people who intimately knew Elaine. I think that's important to know. These are people who intimately knew Elaine who are coming and confronting her, right? I think the, the intention of the article is that look at kind of this groupthink that's going on. Look at MacArthur repeating the warning that Paul gave to the Corinthian church about taking communion before church discipline. Well, yeah, that's the warning that Many pastors give every time they do communion, not not just church discipline times. The article makes it out like this is a, you know, it's trying to keep the sheep in line, like warning. You know, if you do what Elaine Gray did, like you could be in trouble. Um, all these people coming forward are, you know, henchmen from the elders, henchmen from MacArthur. You know, I'm open to the idea that there, there are people who trust the elders and perhaps maybe uncritically. I'm open to that, totally. Um, but you, you got to also just take into account that these are people who know Elaine, the babysit for Elaine, help Elaine. This is her inner circle. And so they know Elaine. They know what the elders are saying. And they've made a, a determination that uh, Elaine's in the wrong on this. So I, I think at least, you know, take that into account. Uh, assumptions. So here's some assumptions. This is, there's a string of these throughout it. This is theological assumptions. Hardy has an MDiv from the Master Seminary, but no professional counseling credentials. That's one quote. Here's another one. She testified she was told by the Grace Community Church leaders that professional counseling is worldly and wrong. And then the letter from Grace Community Church also states that it has become obvious that David is not a mental case and doesn't need psychological evaluation. He's a sinner who can, by God's grace, change and grow. Now, let me explain this to you. There are people in the counseling world, uh, integrationists, who take psychology and biblical counseling in their minds, at least, and they put them together. They say, we can take biblical principles, we can take stuff from psychology, and that's that's what counseling should be. There are others who are uh, on the biblical counseling bandwagon and think psychology starts off with fundamentally wrong assumptions about the nature of man, and therefore uh, we should reject psychology, and the Bible is sufficient for issues pertaining to the soul, okay? Grace Community Church, Master Seminary, is in the biblical counseling vein, not the Christian counseling world, the biblical counseling world. And because of that, uh, they are suspicious, uh, and that might even be an understatement, of uh, worldly counseling, which would be psychology. They're suspicious of that. And they would not have people there. Now, there probably are some with some secular, I, I think John Street, if I'm not mistaken, might have some psychology uh, degrees or something. There, I think there might be people there, but it's, it's, it's people who have, I think, realized later on in life, hey, wait a minute, this isn't the way to go. It's biblical counseling I should go for. So, um, 
it's yeah they they wouldn't in their minds the mdiv so someone being trained in the bible and knowing how to apply the bible that would be sufficient the other thing that is not mentioned here is i'm sure hardy if he's counseling he probably has some certifications in biblical counseling not even mentioned so the, there's an assumption that you must uh have a professional counseling degree if you're going to counsel there's an assumption here that psychology and professional counseling outside the church was the right route to take and something less than that or at least solving it through the elders inside the church is wrong these they did not they were underwater they didn't have the tools they weren't equipped to be able to handle something like this that's the assumption and that's something i need i really think you ought to mark in your minds that the people the person or people who wrote this article that's where they're coming from on this there, there is an axe to grind with biblical counseling. Uh, there are theological issues at play here. And it's not strictly about what happened and the sequence of what happened. There, there is kind of uh, shots being taken at a certain theology when it comes down to it. Uh, so not saying that some of the things brought up here aren't worthy of consideration and perhaps there was problems and mishandling. I'm just saying that there is... Uh, an agenda behind this it's not just about let's get the truth out about david gray it's this is uh, there's an assumption that this was handled wrong and this is one of the reasons because they they did it through the authority of the elders that's not their role it's the role of a secular counselor or psychologist to, to approach some of these things here are some of my reasons for skepticism about the initial articles and i'll tell you what i'm concerned with as well uh, but I want to tell you the skepticism first, and then we'll get to some of the, the reasons, I, the causes I have for concern. Reasons for skepticism. Biased language. Uh, I just, you know, church discipline is reduced to shaming. Yes, John MacArthur used the word shame, but it's reduced to just that in the article. That, that's a, a church discipline. There's really no un, uh, understanding of what church discipline is, what it does. It just, I don't know if the people did understand it who wrote it. Um, like, for instance, calls for repentance are referred to as harassment. There's no specifics given on what harassment is, but people going to the house or calling or writing saying you need to repent, that's harassment apparently. Well, that's just normal church discipline procedure. Um, potential evidence of a changed life with David Gray. This is a big thing to me. So uh, David Gray writes this in 2015 from his Facebook. Dear friends, I want you to know that each day I thank God for this prison trial. And I totally accept and submit to his will with no bitterness or complaint. He knows what is best and I am surrendered to him. Though he has ordained sorrow, pain, and loss, I have actually grown closer to Jesus Christ in my trials. He may, may he be glorified. I'm happy to report the first publication of our Grace Prison Fellowship, a newsletter, which includes entries from inmates in eight prisons. These men are born again and are faithful in teaching sound doctrine. On the other inmates in their yard, we are closely connected to Grace Church in doctrine and purpose. Thanks go to Deanna Altman Char and he's, all these people uh, from the church. Uh, please keep my children in prayer and also their mom, Elaine. I found that last line especially significant. So this is someone from prison. Now you say, oh yeah, people can fool you. Yeah, they can. Sure they can. What reason though would David Gray have for that? That's the question I have. This is a, he, what, what's the church, I mean, what's, they're giving him resources to help train people in Bible teaching in the prison. I, I, I mean, I don't know what motivates that kind of thing. What motivates this? And then especially also their mom there's no bitterness there's no axe to grind in this that you can see it's just pray for their mom that's all it is 
I, I don't, I just don't see this. I mean, com contrasting with Elaine's uh, testimony, which she gave to court, it, it, it's just such a stark contrast. So could very well be that David Gray did some horrible, horrible things. Could very well be that David Gray has repented, though, and there's a changed life. And things like this seem to indicate that that is the case, per perhaps. Uh, <clears throat> misleading sent sequencing. Uh, that's another reason I have for skepticism. There's some misleading sequencing in the article in question about the situation that just was published. Uh, at the time of Elaine's shaming, Elaine had not yet reported her husband's physical and mental abuse to police. She was not aware of his sexual abuse. Instead, she had reported the abuse to elders and pastors at GCC. Yes, that may very well be true. However, she somehow got an order or a restraining order separation order of some kind. So there had to have been some reporting going on. And then, like I've said now a few times, there, there was that time in between the end of the counseling and the discipline when she did not report it herself uh, to the police. And so the idea here, I think, is that the pastors at Grace Community Church should have done this, that this was an unreported thing, but it was reported. It just wasn't reported to the police. And the idea is that the police should have, uh, based on what is known now, been informed. But Elaine didn't even do that. The pastors at Grace Community Church uh, didn't have the evidence, or at least the, um, they certainly didn't have the evidence of the sexual stuff at this time. W what would they, what would they have reported? You have a wife coming to you for counseling with the assumed intention of restoring the relationship. There's repentance from the husband. There's safety initially. You have security from the church. Uh, you have uh, a court order protecting her. What is there to report to the police? Right? What, what is there to report? This is misleading sequencing right here. Another thing, uh, supporting a convicted child abuser and pedophile. Um, this is brought up in the article is uh, that there's some kind of an intention to continue to support a convicted child abuser and pedophile. What's that leaving out, though? Well, one, that he's repented, at least in their minds. Now, you may say he hasn't, okay, but in their minds, he's repented. So supporting a, con a convicted but repentant child abuser and pedophile would at least uh, put the intentions and motives of the folks at Grace Community Church who are praying for David Gray and supporting him in this, at least put it into greater perspective here, okay? The other thing is they don't seem to think, at least uh, those who supported him, that he was guilty of not, not just all the abuse. David Gray repented of that. Even you have Kerry Hardy saying that he, he's repented. He had to repent of something. But the pedophilia, there, there seems to be, from what I can tell, and, and I, uh, there's some postings online in the public domain from people at Grace Community Church that seem to believe that the pedophile charge is not legitimate. And I'm going to get into that in a minute. So are they knowingly doing this? So if you just put the fact out there, they're supporting a convicted child abuser and pedophile. Yeah, are they knowingly doing that? Is the guy repentant? These are significant things that if you want to represent your brothers and sisters in Christ accurately, you would put in, but there is no attempt to do that in this. No, none whatsoever. Um, another thing, misleading sequencing. Uh, Hardy also claimed in the letter that David did not admit any guilt regarding abuse of his children. Right. 
Uh, and, and by the way, these these two, uh, I have to point out, there was a, I read a bunch of articles. I listened to YouTube stuff, mostly from the, the, the side that was attacking MacArthur. But there was um, one guy, David Morrill on um, Protestia. He published an article, uh, and he pointed out these two things. I thought it was an astute observation he made. Uh, the issue I just mentioned, and then this issue that um, he had claimed in the letter that David did not admit any guilt regard, regarding abuse of his children. Yeah, any in the context though, uh, the David didn't admit any guilt concerning the charges, the new charges that were brought against him, the pet, the, the charges of uh, of excessive abuse of pedophilia, right? He admitted to some things, but he did not admit, and you even see that in the the court testimony. Uh, he did not admit to the things he was actually charged with. That's the issue. But this makes it seem like David never abused anyone, and, and Carrie Hardy just took his side. So there's misleading sequencing. There's, or I should probably have just put here missing context. There's missing context that would have changed this uh, significantly if, if, they, if the, the facts were actually put out there. All right, leaving out important information. This is the other reason I have for skepticism. Uh, Priscilla Bonsagu and Colleen Golden testified against the wife. Uh, those testimonies weren't really considered in the initial articles, not in any significant sense. Uh, and these were people that actually were in the home, babysitting, that kind of thing. And they testified against the wife, that she was not being factual. Gray's testimony that tying uh, a child to a bedpost was because they were abusing other children, David Gray, um, that both husband and wife tried to muffle cries of children during discipline for fear California neighbors would report, and treating child like a dog was a temporary object lesson. Now, all that stuff sounds terrible. I just want, and it, it kind of is, <laughs> but uh, th this is what I wanted to relay to you, because this is in, in the article, you're just, he tied kids up. He uh, put up, um, it was, I guess, a pillow or pillowcase over a child she thought she was going to suffocate. Uh, he treated the child like a dog and all this. And, and when you read his testimony, what he says is that, number one, both parents did this. They one of the children, they tied to a bedpost because they were abusing the other children, I, presumably at night. During the night, the oldest would go and would, I guess, hit or do, do abusive things to the younger. So they literally would tie the child to the bedpost. Now, uh, <laughs> I... I don't know what to say. I don't like that. I, I think that would that seems just wrong to me to do, but um, this is something both of them apparently engaged in. So it wasn't like, oh, he just tied them up as prisoners. Like there was, it was temporary, and there, the reason behind it was because he's abusing the other kids. That both uh, the husband and wife tried to muffle the cries of children during discipline for fear of California neighbors. So the whole idea that, you know, suffocating the children was because they would... I guess, put you know, the child's face for a moment when they spank them in a pillow or some, somewhere for the, it to muffle whatever, you know, the crying of the child. Um, it wasn't smothering, apparently. It was, it was kind of muffling. It's kind of weird to me. I'll be honest with you. doesn't sound right to me. Something sounds off. I also understand, though, living in a very liberal area, what it's like when you have biblical ideas about discipline and the people around you would report you if they heard a child crying uh, and call CPS or something. So this is something, again, though, the wife did too, apparently. Uh, so this is information that's left out. And it's, it's, so, so here's the thing. Like, this stuff is, is bad enough in my mind, but like, why are you just, why are you slanting it? Why are you leaving some of this out? You're not reporting the other side. 
And then treating child like a dog was a temporary object lesson. Apparently a kid was acting like a dog or acting very animalistic. And for just a moment, David says, yeah, basically like I said, this is what, you know, if you want to be a dog, this is how dogs eat. And then the kid just returned to the table. It was a, it was an object lesson for a moment. It wasn't like he forced the kid to be a dog or, you know, so there's conflicting testimony and the article only takes one side, right? It only takes the wife side and says, this is what the wife describes is what happened. And there's a question about, you know, what happened. Uh, and the reason I say there's a question is this, the jury decided based on the testimony of the mother, children, and one violin student uh, from like 20 years before, previous. That, that was what was, that's all we have is just this testimony. There wasn't, I, I couldn't find any evidence, uh, any actual evidence, like physical evidence. There was no, and there was conflicting testimony too. For instance, the detective's testimony on the absence of evidence among the violent students. And uh, so interviewing other violent students, interviewing people he taught in the public school, there was no evidence of any abuse. So the detective didn't find anything. And then this is really key, and you're, I don't think you're going to hear this anywhere else. I think I'm the only one who's talked about this to my knowledge so far. But if you read, and I have the link here, the testimonies, the court testimonies, there was expert testimony on evidence of cofabulation. The court blocked from the jury. Now, what's that? Well, basically, there was, uh, this was actually, if you, so, so here's the thing. If the people that pr are promoting this really value psychology and not Christian counseling and stuff, there was a psychologist who... Uh, examined the children, uh, the children's testimony, and concluded based on that, that there was something suspicious about it. There was conflicting stories. Uh, there were certain things the kids did that made him believe or, or said that made him believe they're making this up. This isn't actually real. This should not uh, be, we, we should at least take this with a grain of salt, this evidence the children are presenting. So you have this expert testimony. Guess what? The court blocked it from the jury. The jury was never able to hear this expert testimony about the children. So um, this is where this whole question comes in about did the kids, were these memories that the kids, you know, they, and, and they gave um, very specific details about uh, things their dad did that are just shocking and they're not worth repeating and they're just you get angry reading them i mean i was just furious when i was reading this i'm like i can't believe this guy you know he should be locked up forever you know he's just you just that that uh, natural feeling of justice we have wells up within you but you got to read everything you got to keep you got to keep a sound mind be objective read all the evidence read or whatever we have it's really just testimony it's a he said she said and what you end up having is a situation where one party is saying one thing, another party is saying another thing. There's conflicting evidence. The husband says one thing, the wife says another thing, and apparently, um, now this I found out this this morning from someone else. I'm trying to even remember where I heard this that the public defender he had wasn't that great. So I don't even know. I don't know anything about that really. But um, if one has a better lawyer in a situation, you know that does give an advantage. Possibly the wife did. Um, and you have, uh, some, this is public now online, someone from Grace Community Church, uh, Fred Butler had posted on his Twitter account that it wasn't until the children started seeing a psychologist or a, some kind of a secular counselor 
that they were that they mined for or somehow uh, came up with these quote unquote rep repressed memories. So that is just a statement out there. I have no evidence of it. I have no clue. Is it worth you talking about, John? Well, half of this stuff is just statements that are made. Uh, I don't have, and that's where the limitation comes in. I, I don't know. Um, is that possible? I suppose that's possible. I know of people, by the way, in my own life who have had this uh, happen. I know of people myself who have, uh, they never thought that they had any experience of abuse. And I know the whole theory that you need know, to block it out. And some people can block out memories that are, you know, traumatizing, I guess. Uh, but that, that's the idea. And that through certain psychological methods, you can bring about, you, you can get these memories to come up again. And these repressed memories get exposed and you can then deal with them. And right, it's very Freudian. The thing is, I know of people that all of a sudden decided, I have a repressed memory, I'm, I'm abused. And there was no evidence of it. There was no indication. In fact, their behavior doesn't seem to indicate that. Um, and, and that's one of the things that I know in David Morrill's article on this, he tried to point out is that the kids during this time were meeting with the father. And I guess it was observed by uh, at least the people at Grace Community Church, according to the testimony of the counselor, that they were fine with their dad. There didn't seem to be any problems. They were excited to see him. There was no issue there right? Not generally how kids behave who have been abused in that way, right? And so I know people in my own life who also, like a true abuse victim generally, I'm not saying in every circumstance, but generally they don't want to talk about it. They're, they're very, uh, that's not something they want to relive. And they're going to be, be very gun shy of going around a person like that. Uh, they're very, um, timid. They're not usually out there crusading and, and that kind of stuff. I know there's exceptions, but these are just general, general observations, right? But I, I know people who want to, they just take such pride and identity in being a victim. And people that were pretty sure <laughs> weren't uh, abused. And again, I don't know what I don't know, but I know that this does happen. There are people that just seem like, um, they don't have those set of experiences until there's an advantage to it. And then all of a sudden they, they have a victim thing going on, but it never was part of who they were before. And, uh, and they don't act like no, usually how victims act. And I have known victims and victims, like I said, they're generally, uh, they're not out there being the crusaders. They're generally not, um, you know, some are, some are, but, uh, they, they don't, they don't tend to act the way that kids like this would act where they're, they're around their dad and they're fine with being around their dad, even though he did some horrible things to them. Right. So, and, and the reason I say that is because these accusations had to have been previous to the counseling, right? When he was in the home, that's when these incidences of sexual abuse took place. But then you have this interim, you have a year or so where the dad is seeing the kids. He's not in the home. He's being supervised and they're fine with him. That's weird. Okay. That, that's all, that's all I'm saying. Now I'm not saying he didn't do it. He may have, I don't know, but it, it, do, it wouldn't fit that kind of a story. So I think that, uh, based on the evidence that we have, it's hard for me to figure out how the jury reached this particular verdict or if they were just 
swayed because they had to have just been swayed by the testimony of the mom and the kids. And, and then that one individual from 20 years ago who, uh, who apparently made her accusation after uh, hearing about the situation with the kids. So it's for a guy who teaches music lessons privately for decades and uh, who had been in the public school system, you'd think the detective would find a lot more evidence of this and maybe even physical evidence, possibly. Uh, but there, there just, there wasn't really anything. So uh, it, in my mind, I have to just say, I don't know. That's what I have to, I have to be humble about it and just say, I don't know. But it, any of this analysis that I've just given to you, were you given that from the article in question? Any of the complexity of this, any of the possibilities? No, the possibility, the, the repentance, uh, the possibility that this guy's changed? No, uh, the possibility that he was wrongly convicted, as many at Grace Community Church seem to have believed? Nope, you don't, you're not even going to be presented that evidence. How many of you knew that expert testimony on the evidence of confabulation uh, was blocked from the jury? How many of you knew that? You had to read through the document. Um, it's linked in the article in question, but how many of you actually went and read it? See, this is one of the problems in my mind, that it's, there, a paradigm is not being constructed for all the available information. It's just some. There's sides that are being taken here. There's decisions that are being made. There's biased language. There's uh, theological axe to grind with Christian counseling somehow. Um, and there's misleading sequencing, um, missing context. These are reasons I have for being skeptical about the initial article. It, it, in some ways, it's masterfully done. It really tugs on your emotions and your heartstrings. You have to be very careful when you're reading stuff like this to read slowly, digest it, look at the primary sources, keep an objective head. And I think if you do that, you come to the conclusion, this is a horrible situation that stinks. And if this man is guilty of these crimes, as, and he is serving time for this, what a horrible thing. You know, I, in the state of California, I mean, and the, re the whole religion angle here, I mean, I don't even know. It, it's just, it's dismal in my mind uh, if he's innocent. <laughs> like, I don't know. It very well could possibly be. I have no evidence of this, but maybe there's people that have that anti-religion axe to grind. There's many of them in the legal system in California. Um, there's, there's so many possibilities here. But the bottom line is, I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't close to the situation. All I have and all we have are publicly available documents from mostly 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Something that was known, something that is now just being rehashed and being used to smear John MacArthur. Really to smear him for being uh, in favor of a, pedof a guy who is a convicted pedophile. Knowingly in favor of this guy. That's, that's the insinuation. That's what people are walking away with. That's what people think. That's what they, they're, they're concluding. It's just that John MacArthur supported a pedophile. Yeah, but there's no... That's, that is a bridge too far. That is not a conclusion one can draw. If anything, MacArthur, um, who had apparently, according to the article, no contact uh, with Elaine prior to this situation, which it, it, he happened to be the guy preaching that night, and that's when the discipline was announced. Now... I do have some comments on this. The comment, though, has to start here: is that MacArthur would not have known this at the time he made those statements. Now, the now the thing now, now the thing people want to do is pressure MacArthur into you need to make a statement and apologize now for what happened 20 years ago, knowing what we know now. Well, they didn't know what's 
known now. And even what's known now doesn't seem to be actually known. If the people at the church disagree with the verdict, they, they, they may, there may be a, they may not think that that information is actually known. Or they may think this guy's repented. So, so that's the first part of it. I'm going to get to the, the concerns I have after this. Um, I'm saving those for the end about Grace Community Church a little bit. I know some people give me maybe a little flack for that, but um, I, I think every church, including the one I'm a part of now, could it, it, just like people, churches have blind spots. They have uh, they have issues. They have there's always room for improvement. Okay, so no church is perfect. Let me read for you though um, an email. This is not posted publicly online, but this is an email that multiple people, from my understanding, have been sent from the elders of Grace Community Church. And, uh, and I contacted someone from the church just seeing if they had any information on this. And this is what I was sent. All right. This is all I have to give to you. The elders of Grace Community Church are not likely to issue a public statement on David Gray case. Here's why. Objective viewers who examine the facts on record without prejudice should be able to see that this case is complex. Yeah, I agree with that. And there's more to the story of this couple's marital strife and their interaction with counselors and the evidence contained in public court records. The main exculpatory facts in this case pertain to things that were said in the privacy of a confidential pastoral counseling in sessions. Mrs. Gray herself requested when she was saying she wanted to seek reconciliation with her husband. Now, this is significant here. What the church is saying is that there are exculpatory facts. There are things that would indicate that David Gray is not guilty of some of these charges that are being leveled. But they were said in the confidential boundaries of a pastoral counseling session. Now, think with me for a moment about this. If Grace Community Church came forward with the private pastoral counseling recordings or notes or information, what would that do to their counseling ministry? People wouldn't trust it they would sink their counseling ministry. Why would anyone want to go to a counselor who could just post on the internet what happened? Is there any safety in that? That's part of the problem with all this. And I've been one of the ones saying, at least privately to people, like, I wish if there's evidence that we don't know about, I wish they would just put it out there. Well, this is why they're not. And it's a catch-22. I understand it. In fact, the recordings apparently were for Mrs. Gray herself. She wanted, she requested recordings uh, of the session she was part of, so she could listen to them over. Okay, now they're being weaponized and used, uh, and who knows if we even have a clear record of all those sessions. I mean, there were sessions with the husband that she wasn't probably part of and didn't have a recording for. So um, there's an incomplete picture even with that, and Grace Community Church doesn't want to release uh, confidential, uh, I mean, it could even be the impressions that the counselor uh, received, uh, things that were specific to Mr. Gray that don't that the world doesn't need to know. I mean, this is this is a hard situation. Uh, in other words, and, and we live in a day. I should just say we live in a day where attorney-client privilege should not be respected. Uh, privilege in counseling should not be respected. There should be everything should just be out in the open. Every private thought should be submitted to the totalitarians so that they can police us. And, I, you know, I think one day it's probably possible. All the things you've said on social media, at least the non-encrypted stuff, maybe even in the encrypted stuff, will be released. Just be prepared for that. All the jokes that you made, all the politically incorrect things you said, all the things that, you know, needed context, 
I mean, how would that, you know, how would that go for you? But I'm seeing that tendency more and more and more. Some things, though, are better left private. In other words, recently published stories about the case are missing vital details. In almost every counseling or discipline case, statements are made and issues arise that cannot and should not be made public. Counselors promise confidentiality. Having made that promise, the elders of Grace Church intend to honor it. Even if it is to their own hurt, Psalm 15, they are not going to breach the bounds of propriety or fuel the tabloid appeal of this story by feeding details from private counseling sessions into the press or social media. And I totally get that. It is also the elders' position that noisy, angry, sideline critics who have already judged the matter do not need to be answered. The chief gossip mongers who are fueling this story have already violated every biblical principle that governs how matters like this should be dealt with. A case such as this cannot be fairly relitigated 20 years after the fact, especially on social media or other online forums. Given the way all the recent narratives have been slanted and the timelines deliberately compacted, it is clear that those most aggressively punish, pushing this story are not genuinely interested in truth anyway. Those who personally know and trust the leaders at Grace Community Church do stand with John MacArthur and the elders. Our encouragement for people on all sides is to pray for everyone involved in this case. Pray that the word of the Lord will continue to spread and pray that Christ will be glorified. Now, let me give you some of the critical things, if there are critical things I have to say about this. One of the things I initially thought, having just skimmed the article, when I was just seeing the headline, looking at a few things, one of the first things I thought was, Grace Community Church is a big church. 8,000 people. You may have fifty to 100,000 people, who knows, over the last 20 years that have cycled through there. You have a staff of pastors, um, and elders and just staffers. It's an industry. It's a city. It's like Liberty University. I mean, that's bigger, but it's, it's, you know, I was part of that institution for longer and knew people at high level, higher levels. And it's a machine. You don't know what the, the right hand does not know what the left hand is doing all the time. And so there's a human scale element to this where you have a John MacArthur as one man. There's no way he's aware of everything that's happening underneath him. He's getting briefed on some of this stuff, but there's no way. He can't. It's impossible. And private counseling sessions that individuals are having, you hope the guy is vetted. You hope that uh, there's, you know, he, he made his way up the ranks of the church, so to speak, and that he wasn't deceiving anyone. But honestly, once you get to that size, it becomes a bureaucracy. It's very hard, in my opinion, to keep something like that from becoming a bureaucracy. Uh, you have to be intentional about it. Uh, you have to um, just have all kinds of rules and guidelines on nepotism and, and all kinds of other things. And I'm sure those things probably go on in a place like Grace Community Church, Master Seminary, all of that. That's not a smear against Grace Community Church. I'm just saying that's a design issue. Now, the question is, is that a design flaw? Is something like that something that can lead to a situation like this and perhaps other situations that have yet to be brought up? And the answer in my mind is possibly. And that's something, and this is my own conviction that I've been coming to, and, and just hear me out on this, and I'm sure there's plenty of rebuttals, and you're welcome to put a rebuttal. This is a secondary issue, but here's, my, here, here's the thing that I think... Um, Here's the danger I see. Shepherds ought to know their sheep. And it's my, it's been growing in me that 
I do have somewhat of a conviction that if you're a pastor in a church, you ought to know the sheep there in, in that particular church, which means you're involved in their lives in some way. It is very hard to get to know your pastor when there's 8,000 other people trying to get to know your pastor. And the security details escorts them out right away. And you have another pastor that's, you know, serves as your actual pastor for discipleship or other uh, spiritual growth um, activities. But your preaching pastor is a guy you'll, you'll never know, you'll never get to know. I, I'm not building a church on this. I'm not forming a, a hard, fast theology on this. But I, I have seen in the past these kinds of problems emerge at big churches. And oftentimes... I think it would have gone better if the human scale was different. If that person was known intimately, or at least somewhat with the people in that church, and known by all the elders of the church they, in general, not just getting a briefing about someone you don't know, but you actually know the, these people. I think uh, stuff like this, if let's say this article in question that's attacking MacArthur for, the, for David Gray's behavior, let's say that article's all off. I think you'd know it pretty quick if it was a smaller church, even with this whole, you know, confidentiality of counseling. Now, because um, people would have been like, yeah, I was there. I know the details. It would have been more, it would have been more just known by everyone. It wouldn't have just been a top down thing. It would have been, uh, people would just would have been more intimately involved in the situation. And including, I think, the pastor, the head pastor. Uh, preaching pastor, he he would have wouldn't have gone up there to deliver church discipline to someone that they didn't even know, uh, that he didn't know too well. And the church discipline, it should be noted here, is for uh, failure to repent. Really, it's not because uh, it, it, the, the discipline isn't uh, for abusing children or anything like that. It's you know David Gray did, did some bad things. He admitted those things but he was willing to repent. That's the difference. That's why the discipline took place. I get why they did the discipline, but it's hard to discipline someone that you don't know. You're not a, just intimately aware of the situation. So that's just, that's John Harris's take here. And I've been more convinced over time that if I were to be a senior pastor, I would probably at a church or, or just a preaching pastor or anything, uh, setting the direction of a church, it wouldn't, if it got to, I don't even know the scale, I would say at least 300 people. Once it gets bigger than that, this is just my thinking is like, I mean, it's really hard as a pastor to know everyone. It's just how you only have a certain amount of limited time. doesn't mean the pastor is counseling every single person the same. There are other elders and I get that. And I, and I, I've heard some of the arguments made against this. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm grateful for big churches in one sense, like John MacArthur was able to fight on uh, religious liberty grounds, the issue, the COVID stuff. If he wasn't, if that was a small church, they wouldn't have been able to do that. So I, I totally see advantages but i think herein lies one of the disadvantages to that so that's that's one of them if there is a critique uh that i have to make about this um because i don't know the intimate details of this situation and all i have is what's been presented it's very hard for me to critique other things in my mind or, or other things that that stand out to me as as potential flaws i will say this as a general uh, general opinion that i have but there are counselors, and I'm not saying that uh, the counselors involved in the situation are, are described by this, but there are counselors in the biblical counseling world, I think, who do perhaps uh, 
think that that's biblical counseling is the key to solving everything and who do try to handle too many things in house that should be reported that may have happened here i don't know but i do know that mindset does exist in the integrated counseling world there's other mindsets that are very frustrating and and wrong and and, and that kind of thing i'm just saying we all have ten I have my own tendencies. I have my own sinful tendencies, all right? That though is a tendency that I have suspected uh does uh, that some people do have. I'm not trying to say don't do biblical counseling at all. I'm just saying be aware of that. That there the, you may want to report some things. Even if it's already been reported to a court, it seems like in my mind it would have been wise perhaps. And again, I don't know all the information. Maybe I'm wrong. But given what I know, it's, I would think that it would have been good to report some of this stuff, at least get a police report on it. Um, so that's, that's number two on that. Um, number three in my mind, and, and these aren't, uh, <laughs> you can tell I'm trying to qualify everything because I don't want to berate Grace Community Church or any of them more than they've already been berated uh, for things that in my mind you just can't prove really. But um it would be nice at some point if, even if it wasn't officially the elders, because I understand why they're not making a statement about it because of the confidentiality and they don't want to reveal certain things. I get that. It would be nice, though, if instead of just by email, a public statement was made, even if it was the statement I just read for you. I think it would also be nice if people from the church who are closer to the situation maybe stepped out and, and gave... Uh, a perspective that could shed some light on it. Perhaps not elders, but just people, uh, and I'm not saying break the, the counseling, you know, the, the confidentiality there, but if there are people from the church who do have it, an insight into this, it probably would be good to, uh, because the attacks are so public, they're going so widespread, and there doesn't seem to be much in the way of pushback. You have really David Morrill. <laughs> you have David Morrill. Uh, you have, I think the Bible Thumping Wingnut program did something on this. You don't really have people pointing out some of the things that I'm pointing out in this podcast. It's mainly just a jumping on the bandwagon. And, and honestly, some of them have been so, so ridiculous. I'm just like podcasts where guys are like just reading the uh, wife's testimony or or evidence, which is just testimony. That's what the evidence is just reading that and just you know, basically buying it all hook, line, and sinker. And this is what this horrible guy did and just jumping up and down, getting angry, uh, screaming at anyone who would go against the narrative or quite really even just question the narrative. So that's a lot of what I've been seeing out there is just a repetition of the wife's accusations uh, in the as evidence with not even, you know, looking at, uh, what the the husband has said or what uh, Carrie Hardy has said or or even I mean I just think it's so significant in my mind the the evidence of confab confabulation or at least the textbook testimony on evidence of confabulation was blocked from the jury to to me when I heard when I found that out I was like that's that's kind of significant like why isn't that part of the article I you know that so there's there's too many things that don't add up in this situation to me to buy the prevailing narrative and I don't think any of us sh should buy the prevailing narrative. I think what we ought to do, if we're, if we're not on Team Grace Community Church, 
there's a team there. If we're not on, you know, team quote unquote discernment bloggers, which by the way, I thought, <laughs> I thought those were the bad guys. All of a sudden, all the big Eva guys love discernment bloggers, right? Because, because they're going after the, the, this particular one is going after MacArthur and others. But, um, if we don't want to be on those two teams, but we just want to be on the truth. I just want the truth. Then I think a healthy humility is going to say, I don't know the full truth. Some things don't seem to add up here, but I don't know what all the truth is. I'm glad that it appears that David Gray, at the very least, has repented. That at least it appears that way. Don't even know perhaps about that. Not intimately connected with it. At the very least, though, we can say John MacArthur was not knowingly supporting a, 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 an unrepentant pedophile. That's just not the case. Not true. Uh, that wouldn't be reflective of the policies at Grace Community Church. And that much I think we can safely say. And I'm going to just leave it to, uh, to time to deal with the rest of it. People are going to settle on one side or the other. Uh, it's okay if you don't want to really settle on a side uh, or if you just want to be skeptical uh, about it because there's plenty of evidence that would lead you in that direction. So that's all I got to say about this. I hope that was helpful. It's a mega addition. Uh, I, I've spent you know hours last night. I, I probably spent like five hours just reading everything and then this morning trying to uh, look at last minute details and and this is just where I'm coming down on it and I hope it helps those um, out there who are trying to figure this out I know even in my audience there seems like there's a big split on this and please take my advice please take my advice and just read all the documents uh, go to the info section I'll have links just just read the primary sources and, and it would be much better to try to create a paradigm out of those than try to uh, just follow the um, the blogging question that is putting a spin on it. All right. God bless. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.